You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition of the podcast, we are going to be reacting to Arsenal's narrow victory over Watford at Emirates Stadium. Lots to get into, as always, when it comes to the mighty Arsenal. Another positive result. The positive run continues. I know there will be people that will be critical of certain elements of Arsenal's performance today and we'll come on to talk about all of those things. But I've got to say, I mean, this is just nice, isn't it? You know, turning up to Emirates Stadium week in, week out and being invested in the team and feeling really engaged with the project is something that it kind of, you know, I've been saying it for a little while now, but it dawned on me today on my way into the game Um that, you know, we are in a place where we need to enjoy this as fans. Look, we know that we're not title contenders, right? We know we're not at that level yet. And we know that there will be bumps in the road and we know that there will be ups and downs, which is what makes it imperative that we enjoy times like this. And look, I'm not saying Arsenal are flawless. I'm not saying Arsenal are perfect. I'm not saying there's, you know, things that, are perfect. You know, there's a lot of things that still need to improve. There's a lot of things that we still need to work on. But for me, there is a plan. The plan is being implemented. The players have bought into it. You can clearly see that. We've made some great additions in the summer. We've got a defensive stability like no other defensive stability we've seen or, or like no other defence we've seen at Arsenal in recent years. And for me, it's, you know, there's so much to be positive about. And you know, maybe if you want to be overly critical, are we blowing teams away, managing to do that for sustained periods of time? Probably not. But, you know, we we know that we've got that defensive core now and that defensive structure that we only need to find the breakthrough more often than not. And that will lead to Arsenal getting the three points. So I think there's a lot to be positive about. There's a lot to buy into. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm really, really enjoying watching the Arsenal again. I'm really, really enjoying going down to the Arsenal. I'm really, really enjoying the kind of mood around the club in general at the moment. And it's great. And and as I say, make the most of it because there will be ups and downs. And it's as simple as that. That's football. That's the nature of the beast. It's the nature of the sport that we're also madly in love with. But anyway, let's focus specifically on today's game. Uh, big hello, first of all to all of those joining us in the live chat at the moment. Yes, the bots are out in force on the dislike button. So let's make sure that we exceed the dislikes with the likes, guys. Hit the like button if you haven't done so already. It really, really does help the channel. Subscribe if you're new. And uh, yeah, you know the drill by now. But anyway, going back to the game today. So if you'd have asked me what team I wanted to pick, and I know that I didn't get around to doing my lineup piece uh, ahead of this game, we did bring you a preview of sorts with uh, Jacob Colshaw of the uh, Watford fan channel. I'll be seeing Jakey tomorrow. So interested to get his thoughts on, uh, you know, some of the controversies that surrounded today's game. But going into the game, I would have picked exactly the same side that won at Leicester. I think you had to. I think if you want to build a culture at your football club, whereby 
you are rewarding players for positive performances and picking the team on merit, then somebody like Nuno Tavares, regardless of whether or not Kieran Tierney had returned to fitness, simply had to play. And Mikel Arteta confirmed in his post-match press conference that Tierney is fit, he is available, and he will be going on international duty with Scotland, which tells us that he could have played today. But Mikel decided to leave Nuno in, and that was absolutely the right decision because he's not really put a foot wrong. And I think that when, as I say, when players come into the side, okay, you know, you're going to have your favourites, you're going to have your preferences, and you need to pick the team that you believe is best to win the fixture. But also, you have to show these players, players like uh, Nuno Tavares, who many of us feel and felt at the start of the season was going to be a second fiddle or play second fiddle, was going to be a deputy to Chiarantini. You have to show these players that when they do get their chances, if they take them, they'll be rewarded with more chances and more opportunities and more starts and more game time. And I think that is what really kind of drives competition in a team and in a squad. So, okay, Tavares started. The only difference was, though, of course, in midfield. Thomas Partey was unavailable due to a muscle strain. Now, this rang alarm bells for me on the way towards the ground because I've talked a lot about how badly we missed Thomas Partey last season. I think it was fundamental to why Arsenal really struggled for consistency. It wasn't the only reason. There were lots of reasons, but it was one of the big ones. And when you sign a player of Thomas Partey's quality for a big transfer fee, you hope that he can turn things around. But if a football club goes and pays that kind of money for a big name player because they feel he is the man to turn their fortunes around and he's unavailable very, very frequently, then you get to a place where you have to curse your luck and you have to look at the situation and say, you know, it's not all at Mikel Arteta's door because he would have gone out, looked into this player, signed him, brought him in. And uh, and unfortunately, he's not been able to stay fit, which is no fault of the managers overall anyway. You know, were there moments last season where Mikel Arteta rushed Thomas Partey back because he was, you know, desperate in certain circumstances? I think there were instances of that and I think there were cases of that. But this Thomas Partey thing is a worry for me. It's a concern for me because it happens so bloody frequently. And, you know, it's really important that the players around him and the players within the group that are capable of playing in that position step up. But are you going to get Maitland-Niles performing at that level that he did today? And I'm going to come on to praise Maitland-Niles, I promise you. I've titled the video, I've titled the podcast, Maitland-Niles was the man of the match because I thought he was fantastic. But the point I'm trying to make here is Lukonga and Maitland-Niles got by today against Watford, do they get by every single week in the Premier League? And and the answer has to be no. So there is a worry, at least in the back of my mind, about Thomas Partey's fitness issues. There is a worry in the back of my mind that despite keeping hold of Maitland-Niles, we are still short of top quality in that area. Without Partey and without Xhaka, we're incredibly thin. Now, will Partey be back after the international break? I'd hope so. I'd imagine if it is just because I heard that it was a tightness of a muscle, not necessarily a strain, but he was feeling a tightness in a muscle 
if that's the case and it was pretty much precautionary, then you'd hope and you'd expect that he will be back, um, you know, after the international break. And then we can continue to build and continue to move forward. But let's not take anything away from Ainsley Maitland-Niles because he came into the side, he slotted in seamlessly today and was very, very good. And what was really impressive about him was a number of things. First of all, what I noted really early on in the game was we'd seen Salbert, uh, Sal, I was going to call him Salbert, Sambi Lekonga playing on the left of the two and having to be kind of dragged out to that granite Xhaka-like space, which is what I like to call it, between uh, the, the left midfield position and the left centre midfield position. And at times it, it saw him dragged away and it saw him create too much of a bigger distance between himself and Thomas Partey. And I thought that had a negative effect. But today, Sambi was given the opportunity to play as the middleman. He played the Thomas Partey role today. And Ainsley Maitland-Niles took up that role on the left-hand side. Not the left-hand side of the pitch, but the left-hand side of the midfield. And I thought he did it really, really well. Um, filled in holes, was very, very disciplined, was very aware. I always say this about Ainsley Maitland-Niles, but he's got incredible pace over the first sort of five, seven yards. And that helps him a lot. Because once he reads what's going to happen and once he senses some danger, he's got that quick burst of acceleration to get to the ball ahead of anybody and to get his body in the way. I think that at times he can come across as a little bit casual, a little bit lackadaisical. But today, I didn't see that from Ainsley Maitland-Niles. I saw a player who was bang on it, a player who's multiple, or multiple occasions has told people he wants to play in the centre of midfield, got his opportunity from the start today, and I thought, showed up and did and gave a really, really good account of himself. So he was my man of the match from an Arsenal perspective, um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles. And, you know, I can give praise to a player even if I wasn't convinced previously. You know, I think that's fair. I think that's how you can be fair is by not being pig-headed, is by not being narrow-minded, is by being willing to change your mind and give somebody credit where credit is due when they prove you wrong. And I have been critical of Maitland-Niles as a central midfielder. Not because I think he's crap, not because I think he's useless, but I don't think he's top level yet. Today, again, I'm not going to go overboard and I'm not going to let my fucking feelings, apologies for this word, I don't even know why that came out. Um, you know, I'm not going to go mad about it. I'm not going to go crazy about it. I'm not going to let my feelings get the better of me and take me into this place where I believe that Ainsley Maitland-Niles is a, a top-class operator in the middle of the park, but he was good today. Of course, it was against the Watford side who didn't have a great deal of quality, but had some wily old operators in there in Sissoko and in Kuchka, of course, uh, who eventually got sent off. But yeah, um, really, really pleased by what I saw from uh, from Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Let me know what you thought about his performance in the comments and we'll come back to the comments in just a second. Just want to say a couple of more hellos while we're working our way through the show. Adesola says, uh, hey, Harry, happy to be catching this live episode from the northwest suburbs of Chicago. I never miss an episode on Spotify. Big up to you in the channel. Always making my ride down to Chicago smooth. Adisola, thank you so much, mate. Uh, great to have you here. Great to have you watching us live and appreciate the support. Um, so thank you, mate, and uh, all the best. Uh, big hello to Dave, who says, uh, Evening, Harry, watching here from NYC. Was in Jack Doyle's pub in Manhattan, cheering on the boys with the NYC Gooners. I think we should go to the COP 
looking to leave with three points. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, but big hello to you, Dave, and to all the NYC Gooners and to everybody across the pond. Um, just going back to, to the main Maitland-Niles thing quickly, because he was at the centre of, of one of the most, or the most controversial incident that the game had to offer today. So before we carry on talking about individual performances, let's kind of get that bit out of the way, right? Let's get um, let's get that bit done and dusted. So Watford had a massive issue with Arsenal not giving the ball back after Danny Rose put the ball out of play when Ozan Tufan was down in the ground, uh, down on the ground in the middle of the park. So here's my thoughts. Watford cannot expect Arsenal to play this game in a brilliant spirit or, or in a, you know, really kind of good spirit if they don't play the game that way themselves. And I don't think they did at all. I think Watford were kicking us, were wasting time at every single opportunity that presented itself. Danny Rose made at least four, five fouls um, without getting booked. And we seem to have players who made a single challenge and instantly found their way into the books, into the referee's book, into um, into the cautions. And for me, it was really, really frustrating because you know what teams like Watford are all about, okay? And I'm not saying even that Claudio Ranieri is that type of manager where he instructs players to go out there and kick lumps out of people. But he is a manager who believes in discipline. He's a manager who believes in imposing yourselves physically. He's a manager who believes that you need to make yourselves very, very difficult to beat. And that's why you're seeing Rose in the team, even though he looks about my weight. That's why you're seeing Sissoko in the midfield. Because these people are experienced. They've been around the block. They understand all the different sides to the game. And they were very, very um, deliberately trying to stop us finding our rhythm. When Danny Rose put the ball out of play, which he didn't have to do, but remember, this was not Danny Rose putting the ball out of play midway through a Watford counter-attack. This was not Danny Rose putting the ball out deep into the Arsenal half when there was an opportunity for Arsenal to create something. This was Danny Rose receiving the ball towards his own corner flag, okay, with very little in terms of options other than to hoof it back up the pitch. So what does he do? Spots Ozan Tufan down on the ground, takes the opportunity to put the ball out and buy his team a bit of a breather, buy his team some respite. Okay, and Arsenal decide not to give it back. And the reason they don't give it back is because the minute Rose puts the ball out of play, Ozan Tufan's back up on his feet and getting on with it as if nothing's happened. And this is where we can't keep giving in to players hitting the deck in hope that somebody will put the ball out of play to kind of save them. Why should we give it back? Was it a head injury? No. Was it an injury full stop? Well, we saw in uh, in the aftermath that it wasn't. The Ozan Tufan hit the ground. Danny Rose used his experience, used his nous, used all the shithousery he learned at that lot down the road and put the ball out of play half because Ozan Tufan was down on the ground and half because he didn't have an option because he was under pressure. And so he put the ball out. 
Now, Arsenal don't have to give it back. OK, Arsenal don't have to give it back. Maybe they should. You know, you could argue that perhaps they should. I don't know. You know, Claudio Ranieri very animated about it in his post-match reaction. Um, and and I think I would be maybe a little bit frustrated by it if I were Claudio Ranieri. But you can't be pinning the way the game went on that. You know, Arsenal were the by far the superior side today. And we'll come on to talk about some of the other reasons why that was in a little bit. But, you know, Ozan Tufan got straight back up. The minute the ball went over the line, he got up. Danny Rose used it as an opportunity to to put the ball out of play because he had nowhere to go. That's what it is. It was half the injury that he maybe thought his teammate had sustained and half because he didn't have anywhere to go. So he puts the ball off the side of the pitch and Arsenal don't give it back. And then the play restarts. And then there's a foul in the build-up to Arsenal's goal. And this, I have got some sympathy for Ranieri on because this was a foul. Ainsley Maitland-Niles, um, you know, he does catch, I think it was Ismail Assar as Watford looked to break away. But what I would say here is, OK, look, it's a foul, I think. And Maitland-Niles runs into him. He makes contact with the player, nothing with the ball. Saar goes down. I think he rolls the ball back to a teammate. and might have been Kuchka. And then he plays the ball into midfield and Watford lose it. And when Watford lose it, Arsenal then break on them. And that's where the goal comes from. So, yeah, it is a foul. Um, but, you know, they still gave the ball away after. They still, you know, look, maybe I'm just, that, that's me with my Arsenal hat on. You know, OK, uh, maybe this one isn't as complicated. It's just the foul and maybe the goal should have been ruled out. But, you know, for me... I just I was so relieved that we found the back of the net because it really felt at an earlier point that this wasn't going to be our day. You know, if you think about how Saka's goal was disallowed and then, of course, the penalty, which Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang missed. And then, you know, you, you kind of at that point was looking in, in the skies and thinking, please give us a bloody break here. And we got our break. You know, Smith Rowe's shot was deflected, which obviously helped take it past Foster in the Watford goal, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but as Bonster points out in the chat, we've had similar issues this season. You know, we've had similar things where we felt that our players have been fouled while teams have been winning the ball back high up the pitch and it's been allowed to go. And so people always say this and, and, and a lot of the time I don't believe it. You know, I think it's a cop out in a lot of ways, but people always say, don't they, that it will balance itself out or it will even itself out over the course of the season. You know, I'm not saying it does because most of the time it doesn't. You know, more often than not, there will be an imbalance one way or the other. But, you know, we've had a couple of those go against us this season. And so for me, OK, if I was a Watford fan, I'd be frustrated. I'd be disappointed. But as an Arsenal fan, why should I care? Why should I make a big thing about it? You know, Watford's performance was awful today. You know, yeah, OK, they sat in at times and they, they looked quite rigid in their setup, but what did they offer us in attacking outlet? Nothing. The one good opportunity that Watford had today was when Aaron Ramsdale had a brain fart moment. Other than that, Watford offered absolutely nothing. And so if I was Claudio Ranieri fighting for relegation, fighting to stay in the Premier League, yeah, you know, you may come out and you may 
make your point and, and direct your criticism towards the officials, uh, you know, post-match. But you should be looking at your team and you should be looking at your players and you should be looking at what I believed was a lack of ambition from Watford today. Their only ambition seemed to be to go around and kick people. So I, I don't have any sympathy for them. They didn't deserve anything from this game. Their performance didn't warrant it. Arsenal's performance did warrant it. You know, I thought we did create chances. I thought we did have moments in the game where we were denied essentially by fine margins. So I think Arsenal, you know, were, were deserving and worthy winners. I think, as I said, I, I, look, I do think that that was a foul by Ainsley Maitland-Niles. I do. And so I get why Watford are frustrated. But is it the sole reason they lost the game? Well, they'll say it is because they lost 1-0. But actually, how in the game were they? How, you know, what was their kind of chances of winning the game at that stage in comparison to ours, given the, the pattern of play? And I'd say it would have been very, very low. So we look at it and, and you know, and we can admit, you know, there's no, I'm not going to sit here and pretend. Um, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it wasn't, uh, you know, a foul because it was, and, and we move forward. Simple as that. Uh, big hello to uh, Zaki who says, uh, "Yo, Harry, great stuff as always, man. Still shocked that you work at my office. Hope you're well, man. Hope to bump into you sometime again soon. Um, I work in the same building. Yeah, um, that's where our offices are at the minute. So uh, good to see you, mate. Uh, but look, I think." Something that really irked me after the game was, look, and we've all been on the receiving end of bog standard refereeing performances in this division because they seem to happen way too often. I don't think there's a club in the Premier League that at one point in another haven't felt badly, badly wronged. And so Watford, you can have your moment, you can moan about it, you can whinge about it. And if you end up going down because of a solitary point, I'm sure they'll look back and point at that. But what I would say is this. What Watford Football Club did post-match, in my opinion, was completely unacceptable. They posted an image at the full-time whistle, which included Kevin Friend in it. Why are you posting a picture of the referee at full-time? We talk so much on this podcast, on this YouTube channel, everywhere, about the need for online abuse to be stopped, controlled, called out. I expect a fan to go on to social media and post a picture of the referee and, and point to him as the villain and the guy that cost them. What I don't expect is from a Premier League football club to do that. Because you are almost encouraging people to now hurl abuse at Kevin Friend. You are encouraging people to jump online with their anonymous accounts behind their fake avatars and have a go at Kevin Friend for making a mistake. Now, a lot of the time, you know, people will, will talk about certain referees. And I don't think that there are many referees out there with agendas uh, regarding certain clubs. I just think some of them are incompetent. I don't think Kevin Friend turned up to the Emirates today with the intention of screwing Watford over. But you can bet your bottom dollar that Kevin Friend is going to get a load of abuse off the back of a football club being so irresponsible, so irresponsible. And I think if I'm not mistaken, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't want to be painting them in a bad light if this is not true. But am I right in saying that Leeds United posted something about Karen Carney's comments about them? 
which led to her getting a ton of abuse, which led to her leaving the platform on social media. And, and this is the point, right? I just think fans will be fans. People will be people. But organizations, Premier League football clubs have a right in my or have a responsibility, in my opinion, to act better than that. And I just thought that was really, really poor form from Watford. To post a picture of the referee at full time was something they may have done in the heat at the moment out of frustration, but could go on to have really negative uh, consequences. So, yeah, not not on board with that. And, and I think that's poor, uh, really, really poor, in fact. But anyway, let's go on to talk about some of the individual performances from the Arsenal boys uh, today. And let's start off with the goalkeeper, Aaron Ramsdale. Didn't have an awful lot to do, Aaron Ramsdale. Came out and caught a couple of crosses towards the end of the game, which really kind of took um, some of the, uh, you know, some of the pressure off. And, and if you think back to the win at Burnley earlier in the season, one of the things that we were really praising Aaron Ramsdale for was that. You know, his presence in the penalty area, the ability to come out and collect crosses and really take the pressure off at certain moments. And I think he did that very well. There was one black mark for me on Aaron Ramsdale's performance today. And that was that absolute moment of madness where he came rushing out of his goal and completely missed the ball. Fortunately, the angle was a small one. And I think it was Josh King was not able to find the bottom corner. Am I massively concerned about it? No, because I think, as I've said to you guys on multiple occasions, I think that when you play the way Aaron Ramsdale does, if you're a goalkeeper who likes to play on his toes, on the edge of his own penalty area, likes to be brave, not just in possession, but out of it as well, then I think what you um, I think what you end up with is, is a risk that you cannot avoid. If you want all the good things that Aaron Ramsdale brings, and that's bold passes and, you know, sweeping up behind his back line and being quick off his feet and quick off his toes to really kind of sweep things up and, and give that security to Ben White and Gabriel in those central areas, then you have to accept the associated risk. And the associated risk is, is moments like that. You know, I've said it before, we we talk a lot about Ramsdale when we praise Ramsdale and we talk about what a wonderful signing he is. Aaron Ramsdale has mistakes in him, always has throughout his career. Um, and we'll make mistakes. We'll make mistakes in an Arsenal shirt, just like Edison from time to time does in a Man City shirt, just like Alisson does from time to time in a Liverpool shirt. A lot of it is relative to the way that we're asking these guys to play. And you have to understand that. It doesn't mean that if Ramsdale comes out and misses the ball once, he's shit or, or that he shouldn't come out. Because more often than not, we get a benefit from him doing that. More often than not, he executes something like that perfectly. So I think um, I think that's uh, that's the way to look at it. But another clean sheet for Ramsdale and uh, Burn Leno looks as though he's going to be sitting there all season at the, the way things are going at the moment. Uh, Tommy Asu had a decent game at right back. I thought Tavares had a decent game at left back. Gabriel, solid as always on the left side of that centre of defence. Very strong, very physical. Um, got his body in between the attacker and the ball on numerous occasions today. And um, and made it really, really difficult for Watford. He's growing with every week, I think. I'm really, really enjoying what I'm seeing from him at the moment. Um, but a big shout out to Ben White today, who I thought was really good. I thought Ben White was so good in his reading of the game. I think we've started to see that more and more. And I think we, what we started to see from Ben White a little bit more in recent weeks as well is this um, willingness to pick up the ball and drive into the midfield. Now, I don't know if that's 
something he's been instructed to do more in recent weeks, but we do know it's something that he's very capable of. We do know it's one of the things that attracted Arsenal to signing him in the first place, how comfortable he is on the ball and how willing he is to progress that ball, whether that be by playing a, a passing between the lines or whether that be actually carrying the ball himself. So I thought he did uh, really, really well. And I think the best thing about White and Gabriel for me is not even what they do as individuals. It's that they seem to have a really, really good understanding. Sometimes pairings just fit together. And I think this is a classic case of that. You know, we know that Gabriel's English is not great. And it's a point that we've raised over and over again in recent months because a lot's been made of it. But they just seem to understand each other. And I think they both have attributes that complement the other. So White's calmness and ability to kind of know what's around him, put his foot on the ball and just stop and pause and then pick out a pass, um, as well as spotting when to go into that midfield and when not to do so, is great. I think that Gabriel can be a little bit more chaotic, not too chaotic. He's not chaotic in a bad way. But if you want one of them to go in for a bit of a brawl and kind of an all-action situation, then you'd pick Gabriel. So I think the pair of them, Gabriel has what White doesn't in terms of a physical presence, I think. And White has a technical ability that Gabriel, I'm not going to say doesn't have at all, but isn't as strong at. And so the pair complement each other brilliantly. And I think it's a really, really good partnership. Moving into midfield, I've already waxed lyrical about Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Sambi Lekonga did okay today overall, but there were a couple of naive moments from Sambi Lekonga again. And every time I kind of start to get carried away with him or with my thoughts on him, I see these things where I kind of then step back and go, okay, look, he's great. He's fantastic. Really like him. No, he'll go on to be a wonderful player but he's not quite there yet. And I think there were a couple of those moments today. We weren't punished for them, but a couple of loose passes turning into trouble on the odd occasion. And when you're that singular midfield kind of, what's the word, anchor, the way he was with Maitland-Niles just pulling slightly left in order to give Tavares that, you know, that opportunity to go forward. I think you saw that he's still a little bit naive to play that role. Still a little bit naive in the sense of, Maybe it's because it's the Premier League. It's different. You don't get time on the ball the way you might have done in Belgium. So I guess for me, what I want to say is manager expectations over, over Sambi Lekonga. He's a great talent and he will get there. But if you played him week in, week out for 38 games, I think he'd be exposed still quite a bit at this point because he's still learning, he's still developing. Remember, it's a completely new league, completely new culture, a very, very different style of football. As I say, he will get there, but just be a little bit patient. Uh, Saka, um, done some good things on the right-hand side. You know, obviously had a goal chalked off. Um, a lot of people have complained that Saka went for the ball there because obviously Aubameyang miscontrolled it and it fell to Saka and he put it in the back of the net only for the goal to be ruled out. Some have said he shouldn't have touched it. And then, you know, things might have been different with regards to the offside. Actually, when he put the ball in the back of the net, before any of us knew it was offside, I turned around to my mate at the game and said, you know what? I like that he saw the opportunity and he didn't care that it was Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And he said, I don't care if it's you, Skipper. I'm going to hit it. I'm going to put this in the back of the net. The opportunity's presented itself and I need to be ruthless. 
and I need to stick that ball in the back of the net. And he did exactly that. There wasn't any hesitance from Saka at the fact that it was his captain who just miscontrolled the ball. His captain who still had a chance of retrieving the ball, getting a shot off. He just said, no, you know, this is an opportunity and I'm going to take it. And I love that ruthlessness about Saka. Um, yeah, I thought he had a decent game, Bukai Saka. A couple of moments, though, where I caught him not tracking back again. And I've highlighted that earlier on in the season. If you remember, uh, I mentioned it when we, uh, I think it was Chelsea. I didn't think he helped uh, Kieran Tierney uh, out enough that day. And and I, so it's a bit of a common theme with Saka. And I don't know if it's, in fact, I don't think it's for a lack of trying. I think it's due to maybe some fatigue. Uh, so we've got to watch out on that. On the other side, Emil Smith-Rowe, I thought actually was fairly quiet uh, up until he scored the goal. There were just a couple of signs at the end of the first period that he was starting to find his feet and get into the game a little bit more. But if he scores you a goal, you don't really mind, do you? Again, you know, following up on the edge of the box, being alert to what was going on around him, um, struck the ball cleanly, took a bit of a deflection, which helped it pass the keeper. But again, you've got to be in that position and you can see what that goal meant to him when he wheeled off in celebration. Lacazette put in a good shift again today. His final pass was lacking a little bit in the first period. Uh, but of course, uh, he did did well as always. And then Martin Odegaard came on, who I thought did pretty well when he came on. And I thought that he was desperately, desperately unlucky to see his goal ruled out because Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, you know, got it at the far post, got a touch on it. Ultimately, the ball was going in anyway, I thought. Um, so for Aubameyang to kind of intervene was was really frustrating. And I felt like that was the kind of moment that that goal was something that Martin Odegaard so desperately needed because he's been quite heavily criticised recently. I think a lot of it's been unfair, I have to say. But he has been criticised. He has been picked on. He has been described by some as the worst of the summer signings, which I think is a little bit harsh. So it would have been big today if Martin Odegaard was the man who sealed the deal and sealed the point. And he did brilliantly, actually, because when he received the ball, I was looking at it and going, shoot, first time. But he didn't. He opted to check it back onto that right foot. He opted to check uh, onto the outside of the defender. And then he puts it across the goal. It's going into the bottom corner. And there's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang in an offside position. But equally, and we'll come on to Aubameyang now because people have been very critical of his performance today. Obviously, he missed the penalty. It's the second consecutive penalty he's missed against Villa. He was able to turn in the rebound. But the point I want to make on Oba was with that particular incident is that you don't you almost want your striker to have that instinct to make sure that he put follows something in at the far post. So while we can sit there and say he shouldn't have touched it, he shouldn't have done this, he shouldn't have done that, he shouldn't have been involved. Actually, there's a little part of me that, and, and I played as a striker, right? Granted, not a Premier League level, but I played as a striker to a very decent level. And I like would like to, th I, if I think about it honestly, if that was me in Aubameyang's position, I would have put it in as well. I would have tried to get something on it to make sure that the ball went in the back of the net. And ultimately, when you're a striker, you want to score the goals, right? Opportunity presents itself. You're going to bloody take it. So, I don't have a massive issue with him doing it. I think in hindsight, he'll look at it and go, my God, uh, what was I doing there? But ultimately, at the time, I think it would be dangerous to try and coach that instinct out of your centre forward. Why would you want to? And again, it's a bit like the Ramsdale thing where sometimes it's going to lead to things like that. But overall, you know, you're, you're on the right track and you're doing the right things. His penalty was really, really disappointing. 
Um, and I didn't think he was as energetic in his press today as he had been, um, you know, as he had been in recent weeks. But I can't say he wasn't committed. I just felt like the energy level was a little bit lower from Aubameyang today. And look, strikers will miss chances. Strikers will miss penalties. Arteta confirmed after the game that he will continue to take penalties. I didn't expect him to say anything else. Um, and, and it is what it is. Um, I guess that's pretty much everybody in terms of individual performances that I wanted to talk about anyway. Um, look, we've won. We continue the run. We continue the momentum. I think that winning today makes Liverpool a bit of a free hit. And that doesn't mean that I, I will accept Arsenal going there and getting pummeled. But what it does mean is that if we don't win, which we probably won't, then no real major damage is done between or, or with regards to where I think Arsenal will end up come the end of the season. Our, game, our season will not be defined by games against Chelsea, City or Liverpool because those sides are in a different level to us uh, at this moment in time. You know, you look at the Premier League table now, it makes really or, or much more encouraging reading than it did, you know, just a couple of months ago. We're now in fifth, um, just two points behind Liverpool. If I'd have told you that at the start of the season, you'd have been laughing. Uh, we're just three points behind City and only six points off of the top of the division, uh, which is really, really positive. So um, the run continues, the momentum continues. We've got the international break to come now, which I always feel is a little bit... I'm getting fed up of these international breaks, man. How many of them do we bloody need at this early stage in the season? It's mad. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit frustrating because when you have got momentum, you kind of want it to continue. You, you want to have that opportunity to continue it. And obviously, we don't have that now because we've got this break coming up. But it is what it is. You know, Arsenal, I feel, are much more... Um, I think I think everyone's invested in the project within the club. And I think the fans now, with each passing week, with each passing week that we pick up a victory or a point or whatever, or we continue to build on this momentum, I think with each passing week, people are becoming more and more invested and on board with the project. And I think that really comes across in the atmosphere that we feel inside the Emirates Stadium lately as well. It's much better than it has been in years gone by. And I think that's a lot to do with it. We've got some young players of our own kind of leading the way. We've got some brilliant talent to complement that from all around the globe. And people are really loving what they're seeing from Arsenal at the moment. As we said right at the top of the show, I'm enjoying watching Arsenal at the moment. I'm bought in. I'm loving it. And uh, long may that continue. And I think Mikel Arteta deserves some praise for that. Not saying that, you know, he's definitely going to take us into the top four or anything like that. There's a long way to go. Lots to deal with, lots to come. But he's brought a bit of that feeling back in the last sort of 10 weeks, which is fantastic. So, um, yeah, good to good to see that. Let's take some of your questions from the live chat box for the last sort of 10 minutes or so of the show. Make sure you get them in, pop a cue in at the beginning of your questions as well so that it's easier for me uh, to pick those up. Don't forget, hit the like button as well if you haven't done so already. In fact, let's check where we're at on the uh, likes front. Hold on a second. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. just trying to get uh, to the page. I thought it would be much easier. I should have had it open already, but I don't. We've got over 320 of you watching us live right now across the multiple platforms. Um, but we've only got 120 likes. Let's try and get that up to 150. 150 should be 
should be achievable. Let's try and get it up to 150 as soon as possible. Uh, make sure you subscribe as well. If you want to go one further and become a member, you can also do that too. Right, let's take some of those questions then. Let's take this one from Ollie because he's put it in the chat about 464 times. Harry, have you heard of Max? He's 58 and he scores bangers at Charlton Park at 4 a.m. every night. I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, I'm sorry, but I, I really don't. Uh, not a clue, mate. Not a clue. Um, Chris Mossing says, what about West Ham? Hey, Harry. Yeah, I mean, big win for them. And I guess, you know, although in an ideal world, we'd have liked to draw there today. It's good that, um, that West Ham United have beaten Liverpool because they hadn't lost the game yet. And, you know, that unbeaten record was... Uh, was uh, something that, or is something that I'm very, very precious about and something that I don't want to see anybody else match. So yeah, good to see uh, in that sense, West Ham United beating them. Um, look, just looking at some of the other results though as well. I mean, Aston Villa got beat on Friday night. Remember in the summer when lots of people were giving me heat on this channel for not saying that we should sign Emi Buendia, for not being on board with that one, for having reservations about that. And I'm not saying Buendia is the only problem at Aston Villa. But the point I kept making was that Aston Villa's recruitment doesn't automatically make them um, a better side than us. It doesn't automatically catapult them as a football club above us. And a lot of people were looking at that their window and comparing it to ours and saying, well, theirs is so much better, etc., etc." And that was never the case. They've sacked Dean Smith today. Just as I was heading into the Emirates today, notification came up on my phone. Dean Smith has been sacked. He's lost five on the bounce with Aston Villa, which is really, really poor. Um, moving into Saturday's games, Brighton drew with Newcastle United. Brighton dropping points. Wolves, who are there or thereabouts, around us or were around us, they lost to Crystal Palace by two goals to nil. Chelsea held to a draw at home by Burnley. Brentford losing to Norwich. Man United getting beat again, this time by Manchester City. Leicester dropping points. Spurs and Everton dropping points. So another really profitable weekend for Arsenal. So. Um, yeah, good stuff. Can't complain. Uh, Riddy Sarkar says, Harry, what are your thoughts on the Josh Kroenke interview with Sky? So I got to hold my hands up because I left to get to the game early today and I had some delays, which really, really messed me up. I'd planned to um, go for like a pre-match drink with some friends and I, and I just couldn't because um, some delay in my travel really messed me up. Uh, and I was planning actually to watch that interview on my way in on my way into Emirates Stadium. But I was so kind of focused on trying to navigate around the shit show uh, of, of a travel situation that I didn't and I haven't seen it yet. And I will be watching it tonight in bed in the warm because it's bloody freezing uh, at the end of this podcast. And when I do that, I will be able to comment on it and I'll be bringing you a uh, short piece of content around it uh, tomorrow. Also, while we're on the subject of upcoming content, my interview with ITV Sport and film director Gabriel Clark around the new Arsene Wenger film, Arsene Wenger Invincible, is out tomorrow. And I'm sure if you're an Arsenal man, you are going to love it. There's so much fantastic insight into what it's like working with Wenger, what it was like getting Sir Alex Ferguson to contribute, what it's like putting together that type of film and how you find the balance or toe the line between making sure that you tell an honest and clear story, but also not upsetting the man it's about. 
Mr. Arsene Wenger. It's a fantastic interview. I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. Um, thank you to 90 Min for giving me the opportunity to meet with Gabriel, who is, is fantastic. And that will be out tomorrow. I think. Yeah, no, I know it will be out tomorrow at 5 p.m. on the YouTube channel and in podcast format. So please show it some love when it does drop. Hit the like button on it, share it, etc. You know the drill by now. Right, uh, let's go back uh, to the chat box. Uh, lots of questions on Aston Villa today. Um, Delisi says, who do you think will replace Dean Smith at Aston Villa? I think if I was Frank Lampard, I'd be all over that now. Uh, but I'm not sure. Uh, if uh, if that would be the case, uh, as Afsar says, moon the likes. Uh, PA double pieces. Do you think Inter Milan would sell Bastoni and how much is he worth? Love Bastoni. Think he's a really really good player. Um, don't think he fits in our system. I think he's very very good as being part of a back three because he is quite technical and he likes to bring the ball out a lot. And and I think you've got more license and more freedom to do that in a three. I think he's still very young. I think he's still developing. Love what I've seen of him so far, but it's early days to say that I'd go and pay um, mad money to bring him in. Uh, Lars Jakobsen says, uh, how much do you like the new Saka and Emil Smith road chant? Yeah, I like it. Um, I've even got my two-year-old walking around the house going, I like it, I like it. So... Yeah, it's really caught on in the Simu household, I have to say. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Um, da -da 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 -da. Uh, Josh Hunter says, should Oba be taken off of penalties because he's missed two in a row? Personally, I wouldn't take him off them, um, if, I'm, if I'm honest. I think, you know, there's a case that Lacazette, uh, you know, could step up into that, into that role, into that position. I think someone who's got an exemplary record from the penalty spot throughout his career is Nicolas Pepe, but he's not in the starting lineup at the moment. Look, I just think Oba's, you know, having a bit of a rough time from the spot. You know, he's still contributing. He's still been much improved this season in comparison to last season. And he still has a huge, huge role to play for us. So I'm not stressed about it. You know, obviously it's disappointing. And I think more would have been made of it if we didn't win the game, obviously. But we did win the game. Let's not cry over spilt milk. He'll be back. He is quality. He is ice cold in front of goal normally. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not not overly worried about that at this stage, I've got to say. Uh, Creambone says, Harry Jovic, a good shot in the January window. I love Luka Jovic. Um, admittedly, hadn't watched an awful lot of him in terms of 90 min, high, uh, 90 min matches, I should say, uh, over the last couple of years. But we did a show the other day where we focused it around those rumours and those reports. And I did quite a bit of research on that day. And I've since watched some more, read some more, heard some more about Luka Jovic. And I feel like he'd be a pretty decent fit. Yeah. Uh, but will it happen in January? Don't know. Uh, according to the reports, Arsenal would would like to try and make it happen in January. But I think for me, January is still focus on the midfield month for me. Um, that's still the priority. While Laka's here, while Oba's here, I'm not massively stressed uh, about the centre forward position. I am stressed though about the midfield and what what could happen in the event of one or two more injuries, and of course how light we're going to be left and how thin we're going to be left come the African Nations Cup. So yeah, midfield is still the number one for me. Right, we are going to leave it there. I uh, hope you've all enjoyed it. I uh, hope you enjoyed Arsenal's win today. Hope you enjoyed Arsenal continuing that run. The Gunners march on. Mikel Arteta is building something at this club. There is a good feeling around it. Was it an amazing performance today? Was it faultless? No, it wasn't. Um, but 
we did enough to win the game. We got a little bit of the rub of the green when it came to, um, of course, uh, you know, the goal um, and the way it came about and what I believe was a foul in the lead up to it. I've got to be honest, I, I can't, you know, I can't do my job fairly if I don't admit that was a foul. I think it was. Uh, but we, you know, we take it and we move and it's the rub of the green that maybe we didn't have in years gone by. And, and it's the rub of the green that a side like us is probably going to need if we're going to get back to where we want to be sooner rather than later. Love to every single one of you in the live chat box. Big hello to everybody who will be watching or listening to this back later on. Smash the like button if you haven't done so already. We're eight likes away from that 150 target. Hit it on your way out. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. Subscribe to the podcast. Keep your eyes peeled for more content coming tomorrow. I'll be back very, very soon. Until next time, goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.